Good morning, everyone. Hmm. Well, in some circles, maybe that was like a good morning. Um, <clears throat> I find it interesting. A lot of times, um, people will greet me in the mornings when I get here. And um, based on how I say good morning, they may stop and say something like, is everything okay? Are, are you all right? And if I had asked any of you, uh, how your morning was or said good morning to you and you said good morning to me that way, I would probably stop and say, is everything all right? Yes. <clears throat> Do you really want to know or are you just asking because you feel like you're supposed to, right? Because you've all been there, right, where you ask someone how they're doing and secretly you're hoping that they don't really tell you? Yeah, act like you all haven't been there, right? Because you're in a hurry and you feel this obligation to be like, so how's it going? And you're kind of still walking, you know what I mean? We're not going to spend too much time on that. Um, I have a lot to try and, and cover today. Um, we are not in a series here at Kettering Church this week. This is what we call a one-off, where I'm just going to talk to you, and there's, it's not going to build next week or the week after or anything like that. I'm just going to share something with you that's kind of been on, on my mind and my heart, and I can't really tell you exactly what I'm going to say today. Uh, I mean, I know some of it, but uh, I've really been agonizing about other parts of it. And so we're just going to kind of go through this together and see how this goes together, okay? Uh, the title of our sermon today is Watch Where You Sit, okay? Now, how many of you have ever walked into a church and thought, I wonder if I'm allowed to sit here? Like, I wonder if this is somebody's assigned seat. Or worse, maybe you've gone to a church and somebody actually said to you, um, I'm sorry, but you are sitting in my seat. Have any of you ever had that experience? Have any of you ever had that happen? Some of you have actually had that happen. Shame on us. Well, today we're not going to talk about encouraging you to watch where you sit in church and check to see if somebody has a plaque on the pew in front of you gets their spot or something like that. Um, but instead, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about watching where we sit our soul, okay? Watching where we sit our soul. Now, when you all came in here this morning, you made a decision about where you were going to sit, and there were probably some factors that determined where you were going to choose to sit. Some of you like sitting near the front, okay? Those of you who are in the front, I'm going to guess you chose that because you like to sit in the front. Some of you sat near the back because you like to sit in the back. Now, I don't know what influences that in different people. Some people like the left side. Some people like the right side. Some people sit there because their friends are sitting there or because they can get out of the building quicker if there was a fire or, you know, you can sneak out quietly if you don't like the sermon or whatever it is, right? Um, we all have things that influence why we sit where we sit. And what I want to do is I want to read you a real short passage of Scripture if you're following along in version, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 5. So you can just open version. If you're not following along in version, open whatever Bible you have, whether it's on your phone, your tablet, your paper Bible, whatever it might be. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 5. We're just going to read a few verses here. And this is, for those of you who are unfamiliar, this is right after Christ has, has been crucified and has been buried um, and has, has resurrected. So Matthew chapter 28, 1 to 5. Early on Sunday morning, the new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, 
There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said, for I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now, um, this is probably a really familiar passage for many of you. The verses, the words that I want to focus on in this particular passage come from verse 2. Verse 2, where the Bible says, an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and did what? Sat on it. Sat on it. Now, it could be, I'm not claiming that this is 100% like right, okay? But it could very well be that without saying anything at all, this angel who comes down from heaven is teaching us something in the way this angel chooses to go about where he or she sits, okay? Because let's be clear about something. When you sit, you're having a different posture than when you stand, correct? When you sit, you have a different posture than when you stand. Um, When I was growing up, my dad, for whatever reason, would always stand while he ate. Now, it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I fully understood why this was. There were six of us in our house, and we didn't really have a table big enough for everybody. So my dad would just stand kind of over by where our, our, we had a little bar kind of deal in the kitchen, like an island kind of deal. And my dad would just stand there and put his plate on it. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I really understood, well, he does that because there really aren't enough places to sit. But even when there are enough places to sit now, my dad still tends to stand, right? It's like he's made this habit of doing it. And there's like this weird posture when you stand and eat, isn't there? Especially if there's a chair that you could sit on, right? There's something different about sitting than there is standing. And I think it's interesting that this angel in this passage of scripture chooses to sit, not stand, and he chooses to sit in a very strategic place. On the stone, not stand beside the stone, right? Not stand in front of the stone, but seat himself on top of the stone. Now, today, I want to talk to you less about where you sit your behind, your tushy, okay? And more about where you choose to sit your soul. Okay, we want to talk today about where we choose to sit our soul. Because I believe that where our soul sits is important. In order to illustrate this point, we're going to read a passage of scripture from the Old Testament. Okay, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to read a few verses from the book of 1 Kings. Okay? 1 Kings, if you're following along and you're not using your version, you have to turn there. Go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. To give you a little bit of backstory, the prophet Elijah has just had this huge victory on Mount Carmel where the prophets of Baal have been um, proven wrong. Their God has been proven wrong. Fire has come down from heaven and burned up this offering. And these 400 prophets of Baal have been destroyed. Elijah has just with God had this humongous victory. Okay, it's pretty awesome, really. Now, here's what happens, okay? Um, King Ahab goes back to Jezreel where he's going to meet up with his wife, Jezebel. And Elijah is overcome by the Spirit of God and is actually able to outrun Ahab in a chariot back to Jezreel, okay? So a lot of really cool things have happened. God has shown up and done some really cool stuff. And then here's where we come to verses 3 and 4. Queen Jezebel gets upset 
because these 400 prophets of Baal have been killed. And so she threatens Elijah, okay? She threatens him and basically says, may the gods deal with me ever so severely because of what I'm going to do to you. Now remember, Elijah has just had this huge victory. He has outrun a horse and chariot. Now, you would think you'd be on a pretty big high right now, right? Who in the world can stand up against me if God is on my side? 400 prophets of Baal were destroyed. Fire came down from heaven. I outran a horse and a chariot. And Jezebel says, I'm going to destroy you. Now, I would like to think that if Jezebel said that to me, I'd be like, go ahead and try. Like, did you miss something? Have you not seen what just happened? But here's what happens. Listen to verse 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, how far can you all walk in a day? I know some of you are like, not very far. Okay? But if you put your mind to it and you were scared enough, you could probably walk a pretty good fur piece into a wilderness. That's what Elijah does. And then it says he came to a broom bush sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Now, are you all reading the same thing I'm reading? Did you all just read that? Let's, let's read it again. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. You see, here's the thing, church. Elijah comes to this place in the wilderness. He finds this broom bush, and he sits down Where? Under it, not just his behind, not just his gluteus maximus, right? Nope. He sits his bottom and his soul under this broom bush, this broom tree, and prays that he might die. Now, just a couple of things that I think are interesting about this particular bush that Elijah chooses to sit himself under. Number one... It grows in the desert. So you know if you come to a juniper plant or a broom bush as they're called, then you are in a very dry place. There's not a whole lot of life going on in this place where you are. So you have gone to a dry place. Another interesting thing about this particular type of bush or tree is that it had a very bitter tasting root. Very bitter tasting. How many of you enjoy eating bitter root? Right? Yeah, none of us, okay? But this is something that people who were very poor in biblical times would have had to resort to eating because there were, were, were no other things to eat. And so in times of famine and distress, there were times when people who were very poor, very desperate for food, would eat this bitter root of this tree. And oftentimes, number three, their twigs were used binding. The, the twigs were used to bind things together. And so what we can, can symbolize about this tree in this wilderness is Elijah sits himself under this tree in this very dry place where he went. He purposely went there. He placed himself underneath it, this bitter tasting thing. He's in very bitter circumstances, and he finds himself bound to his circumstances. Y'all follow me here? See, there are two really big differences between the two situations that we read to you from Scripture today. One, one of the examples, both examples, let's say this, 
are in times of desperation. In the first example, Jesus has been killed and he's been buried. Nobody knows that he has risen from the dead yet. Times are bleak and they're bad. It's dark. And this angel chooses to sit himself upon the stone. Elijah, in bitter circumstances, in dark circumstances, chooses to place himself underneath of this tree and be bound by his circumstances. One sits themselves on top of, and the other seats themselves under. Now, the Greek word, if you were to go back and look at sat on it, the Greek word for sit, believe it or not, actually means to sit. Okay? Y'all with me so far? Nothing surprising there, right? The word on, though, actually carries a, a, a significance to it. Like, the word actually has the significance of the word above, beyond, or more than, not merely to sit upon something. But it carries with it the weight of above, beyond, or more than. You see, there comes a point where we can look at this angel and say, this angel wasn't merely sitting just to sit, but to symbolize that he is seated upon, above, more than the circumstances that seem to be in front of him. Perhaps you could even say what was meant to bring defeat to Jesus becomes a seat for this angel. And I think there's tremendous symbolism in here for us. You see, I believe this. We can choose to sit under our circumstances, or we can choose to sit on our circumstances, but we cannot do both. How many of you have ever, or maybe even right now, find yourselves in a set of circumstances that are difficult for you? Right? You're in a place where you'd say, my circumstances are difficult right now. They're hard. Well, you get to choose whether or not you're going to sit on top of your circumstances or sit under them. And I'm not talking about on your bottom. I'm talking about in your soul. You see, in the, in the first passage that we read, this angel sits down on top of the very thing that symbolized Jesus' ultimate defeat. Right? Imagine that you're a disciple. What does the stone represent to you when it's pushed over in front of that tomb? Anyone who followed Jesus, that represents the end. It's closed. It's done. And the angel comes and he sits himself right on top of it as if to say, it's not done. This thing that was meant to bring an end merely brings about a beginning. In Elijah's case, he chooses to sit under this tree and mope and wail and moan and say, God, just take me home because I'm no better than my ancestors. Well, no, you're not. But God is greater, right? You see, here's what blows my mind. I mean, there are times when I read through the Old Testament, I think, man, if I could have had what Elijah had, like how much, how much more impactful would I be to the world around me if I could be like Elijah. And then you read stories like this one. And you're like, the dude is sitting under a tree asking God to just take him home because some queen has threatened his life. Now, Jezebel's not a, a good lady. Okay? I'm not saying he shouldn't have had some fear. But church, do you see the difference in choosing to sit under your circumstances or choosing to sit on them? 
You can choose to sit on top of your circumstances or you can choose to sit under them. But you cannot do both. Now I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about something similar to do with this. But so, so if you're sitting here thinking, okay, so Pastor Brian, I get that, but that's just so, like, that's oversimplified. How many of you are thinking, right, that's oversimplified? Because if you had my circumstances, you would not be talking stupidity like that. If you were sitting where I'm sitting, you would understand how crazy this all sounds. So let's talk about saving a seat, shall we? How many of you remember the film Forrest Gump? Any of you watch, see the film Forrest Gump? Little Forrest goes and gets on the bus, right? Y'all remember the scene, Forrest gets on the bus, and one by one he starts passing these kids where there's an empty seat, and they look at him and they're like, seat's taken. Right? Can't sit here, seat's taken. Poor little Forrest, one by one passing these kids, and he's told that the seats are taken until he comes, of course, to little Jenny, and the seat's open, and you all know how the story goes from there. But the seat is taken. Now, I think that there's something valuable in that that we can learn today. And so what I would like us to do is I would like to think about the idea of a saved seat for just a moment. Now, how many of you like, like it when someone saves you a seat somewhere? You can't get there in time, and they, you like it when they save you a seat, right? It's a kind of a good feeling, Right? Someone thought about you. They cared enough about you to save them a seat. Or maybe it's a place in line, unless you're at King's Island and you'll get kicked out of the park, right, Dawn? Yeah, you can't save spots in line at King's Island. But you can't, sometimes maybe you go to a church and there's a pew filled with, like, Bibles and purses and pamphlets and whatever else, right? There's nobody sitting there. But you know somebody has saved those seats, right? Okay? So, see, you all understand the concept of saving seats. Now, here's what I want to under, explain to you. You all have three brains, even though you really only have one. Okay, you got three brains, okay? We all have like a, uh, a logical brain, okay? Y'all follow me? You have a logical brain. Y'all know, for those of you who are under like 25, your logical brain does not work right yet, okay? Science has proven that. That's not just my opinion. Your logical brain does not fully develop until you're in your mid, early to mid-20s, okay? It's why car insurance changes at 25. Your rates go down. Okay, anyway. You have a logical brain, okay? You also have an involuntary brain. Some of you may not know this. Um, it's like a survival brain, okay? Your survival brain is what controls, like, your heart rate, your respiration. Like, how many of you have to consciously think about breathing all the time? Yeah, none of you, because if you did, if you're like me, you would be dead, okay? You don't have to tell your heart to breathe. You don't have, there are certain things in your body that you don't have to tell your body to do. Your brain just does it. It's a survival brain, but then you also have... An emotional brain. Now, way back in the 1950s, psychologists started referring to this part of your brain as what they call the emotional seat, okay, the emotional seat of your brain. And basically what we're talking about here is the part of your brain where you're going, you get to choose what emotion is going to fill the seat. Y'all follow me? Okay? Now, how many of you understand the concept of emotion and logic being tied together? Some of you understand that. Okay, here's what I'm talking about. Sometimes our emotions are what guide us in our decision-making. And, okay, sometimes that's okay, and other times, well, not so much. Okay? So the reason this is important is because we get to choose which emotion is going to fill the emotional seat that is in our brain. We get to choose that. Now, some of you would say, oh, no, we don't. Oh, yes, you do. Okay? We all get to choose this. 
So what we want to make sure that we're doing is understanding the concept of saving that emotional seat for the right emotion at the right time. Saving seat. From 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, the seat is taken when an emotion comes along and says, I want that seat in your brain. We get to choose whether or not we're going to allow that seat to be taken. So here's what I mean. Listen, when fear gets on the bus, what do we say? Seat's taken. When insecurity climbs on the bus, what do we get to say? Seat's taken, right? When anxiety gets onto the bus, we can say, I'm sorry, the seat is taken. When anger climbs onto the bus, we get to look it in the eye and say, I'm sorry, this seat is taken. Now, that's easier said than done. This whole idea of emotion, the emotional seat, this is the part of the sermon where I've really agonized, church. And I, when I say agonized, I mean agonized. Because I think so many times that you look at me up here and you guys think, yeah, he's a pastor. He doesn't live the same life I live. Things are different for him than they are for me. Right? And I try really hard to be as honest and open and transparent as I can Because I feel like making the words in Scripture applicable to everyone means something. It's meaningful. It's impactful. And so this morning, I'll just be really honest with you. For the last couple of months, I have really struggled personally to look an emotion in the face and say, I'm sorry, but the seat's taken. Right? You see, I have to come in here every Sunday and put on this smiling face and this energetic persona because I need you all to be that. And if I'm not that, well, you're probably not going to be much of that. I hear all the time, well, a church takes on the personality of his pastor, right? How many of you want to come to church and see your pastor standing up front mumbling through a sermon? None of you, none of you want to do that, right? When you greet your pastor in the morning, you don't want him to be like, you know, honestly, life's pretty sucky right now, but thanks for asking. Right? Because what you would do is you'd say something like this. Well, you can have joy in the midst of your sucky circumstances. Because that's what your pastor would probably say to you. Uh, yeah. Here's the reality, church. I'll be totally honest with you. For the last few months, I have struggled. And I don't just mean a little bit. I mean a lot. I have struggled with loneliness. Now, some of you are probably thinking, how in the world is a pastor, surrounded by people all the time, struggle with loneliness? Well, I'll tell you, since you asked. I mean, you really didn't. I asked for you. But I know some of you are thinking it, right? How does a pastor struggle with loneliness? In our particular church setting, I am what you would call a single staff pastor. 
Now, we have other pastors, right? We have Mike and we have Thomas, okay? But I'm the only pastor that's, that's paid a salary, okay? And so I'm the only pastor who's really held to a certain standard, if you will. Does that make sense to all of you? There's a standard that you guys may or may not consciously hold me to, but there is a standard that I'm held to. And there is a, a reality that my, um, how shall we say this, my livelihood is tied to this church. Are you all with me so far? So I want you to think about where you go to make your living, where you go to get paid in your job or whatever, okay? And then I want you to think about how many other people work at that job with you, okay? And then I want you to think about, well, for Pastor Brian, now Wendy does work here on Tuesdays and Fridays right now, but Wendy is making her way on to a more permanent career, right? And so when I say some of the things I'm getting ready to say, I don't want any of you to, to take any of it the wrong way. I want you to hear it as reality and nothing else. Can you all do that for me? Yes? Okay, good. I need, to, I need to make sure you do that. This is just purely the reality of circumstance, okay? I struggle with coming in to the office and doing all the things that need to be done and feeling pretty alone a lot of the time. In part, because as much as you all may prioritize Kettering Church in your daily life, none of you rely upon it for your livelihood, right? None of you rely on it for your livelihood. So in other words, if you all decided tomorrow to stop giving to support the work of the church, it wouldn't affect you other than maybe how God would speak to you about it. None of you would struggle with the idea of, well, I'm going to be able to pay my mortgage if I stop giving to the church. Of course, none of you are going to struggle with that, right? Right? Now, I don't want any of you to feel bad about that. That's not the purpose in me telling you. But what I do want you to understand is that no matter how strong my faith in God might be, it's really hard to look at God and say, God, it doesn't really matter if nobody in the church chooses to give anymore. I know you'll take care of me. Yes? That's a lot harder to do when the rubber hits the road. Imagine if your employer came to you and said, listen, we've lost 4,000 customers. We're going to have to let you go. Right? How many of you would be like, that's okay. God's going to take care of me. No fear, no concern, no anxiety, no nothing. You would just be like, no, Dawn's over here. Like, I've done that before, right? She, she's done that twice. And I know, listen, I know that I should look at that and say, eh, it's really not a big deal. But that's only one aspect. You see, another aspect is this. I'm a task-driven, task-oriented um, person who thrives on accomplishing task, right? Sometimes the way I find my self-worth in my position is when I know things are good and going well. Y'all follow me? Yeah, some of you are the same way in your jobs. You know that you're doing well when things are good. Your boss is telling you, hey, you're doing a great job. We're going to give you a raise, blah, 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 right? Things are good. For me, there is no one else, and I mean no one else in this church who would rely upon their sense of accomplishment based on how volunteers do what they do. 
Now, again, this is not to make any of you feel bad. This is just to give you truth and reality. You see, when I stand up here and look out every week, you know one of the ways that I know I'm doing a good job as a pastor? Do any of you have a clue? It's not just how many people are here, right? It's who are the people that are here. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not telling all of you that you should be like, oh my goodness, I can't miss church because Pastor Brian will have a meltdown. Okay? Do not hear me saying that. What I am saying to you, though, is this. I know that there are certain people who I have an opportunity to impact personally. Okay? And it gives me a a sense of accomplishment and that God is doing in me what he wants to do in me. But then there are other times where I know I'm only one person. And I can't possibly meet the needs of every person sitting out here, right? So there are times when I wonder, God, when are you going to call someone else to carry some of this load? Who is the next person who's going to feel a calling to step up and carry some of this load? And when I say carry the load, I guess what I mean is invest in Kettering Church the way I'm investing in Kettering Church. Because there are times where that's where the loneliness comes in, where I feel like I don't have anybody else alongside me who's investing in this church the way I am. And again, please do not think I'm trying to be critical of any of you. Please do not hear me saying that. This is just pure reality. I feel lonely at times because I feel like I don't have anyone. Oh, man, that sounds so terrible. There's not someone who's investing in this at the same rate that I am, who in the back of their mind, the thing that they think about before anything else is how are things going at Kettering Church? Now, some of you are going to say, well, Brian, you're the pastor. Yes, I know. But I also know that I have pastor friends who've planted churches, and the people who walk that path with them are as invested as they are. I mean as invested as they are. And there are times where that, I say to God, God, who's the, ne- who's the person who's going to invest, who's going to do these things along with me because I'm lonely? And again, I don't want any of you to hear me as saying like, you're bad people, I don't like any of you, I'm quitting. I love what I do. I mean, I really do. But there are times that this journey is lonely. There are times that this journey is hard because I don't have the option to say, I just don't feel like going to church today. Right? I don't, I don't get the option. And church, if I'm being totally honest with you, there are times when you all make that choice and it makes a negative impact on me. To give you an example, our music team was short today. And so on Saturday when I'm supposed to be able to do things at home, you know what I was doing? I was having to work out how are we going to get through music today because the one of the persons that was supposed to be here can't be here. And when you can't be here, you don't have to be the person who gets on and fixes all of that. All you have to do is say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't be there. I'll try next week. And so here I am on Saturday on my day off for two hours trying to figure out how am I going to get all this ready for tomorrow? You see, now, I'm not blaming anybody. Please do not hear me saying that. But there's a reality that I live in, and it's hard, right? It's 
hard. And there are times where I want to be like Elijah and say, God, just take me home. Move me to a different church where I won't have this problem because no other churches have this problem. Right? Move me to a different profession. Right? Or make Dawn like this super important person who makes all this money and I'll just be a stay-at-home dad. I've prayed that prayer too. But church, here's what I want you to hear. I get to choose... Right? Just like all of you, I get to choose if I'm going to let that seat or that emotion take that seat in my mind. And I wish I could say that I never let it, but there are times I do. Right? There are times I let those emotions take that seat in my mind. And it's in those times where I get down. It's in those times that I get discouraged. It's in those times that I yell at my family because I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, because the wrong emotion is seated in that emotional seat in my brain. I get to choose that. You get to choose that. This morning when I came into church, I did not want to be here. I'm not going to lie to you. I did not want to be here today. Part of me wanted to say, you know what? They need to know what it feels like when somebody important just doesn't show up. Now, that's wrong. Right? There's nothing right about that. But I'm human just like you are. And so guess what I had to do, church? I had to make a choice and say, you know what? Anger, the seat is taken. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I do this all the time because I don't. Okay? But this morning I knew, God, I can't go in there angry and irritated and upset and like just stick it to them. That's just so wrong. Because servant leadership means we lead through serving other people. And what I want all of you to hear from me today is this. I serve you because I love you. Right? I serve you because I care about you. There are times when a gift card is great. A note or a card is great. But what really makes the difference for me is when people in the church step up and say, you know what? I want to serve with you. I want to serve with you. I don't want to serve under you. I don't want to write you a check. I don't want, to, I don't, I don't want this to sound wrong, but church, that, that's not really what motivates me. Is it nice? Of course. But what I really need as your pastor, if you really want to appreciate your pastor, serve with me, right? Come alongside and serve with me. And when those moments come along and you're serving and you're thinking, mm, I'd really rather go and do this thing or I'd really rather, the seat is Taken. There are lots of things that Dawn and I would love to do, but we don't because the seat is taken. Kettering Church holds a seat of priority in our lives because you all are important to us. And so what I'm asking of you as your pastor is to say, you know what? Not only am I going to pray for my pastor, I'm going to serve with my pastor. Because church, it won't always be easy, will it? 
There are going to be weeks when you don't want to come in here because you're tired, because you're irritated, somebody said something that upsets you, or whatever. And what you get to do is say, guess what? The seat is taken. I'm going because the thing that we do here is that important. It's that important. And so please don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. I struggle whenever I speak this way. Because I don't want you all to think I'm being hard on you or being critical of you or any of that. Because I'm not. But the church will only be as successful We will only be as impactful as the people who make up the church. You see, I've learned that I can do all kinds of stuff and it won't mean a single thing. If you all, the people who make up the church, are not the ones who are doing what needs to be done. We can plan and strategize. For two months we've been strategizing about kids ministry. But at the end of the day, you know what will make kids ministry successful? Church, what will it be? It'll be you. It'll be those of you who volunteered and when you feel junky and when you're tired and you're irritated and you don't want to see another kid's smiling face ever again. You tell that emotion that the seat is taken and you come and you give it your all and you say, God, I don't want to be here, but give me the strength I need to be what I need to be today. That's what we do. And that is when the greatest impact of the church is felt by the people who come and call this place home. You get to choose. Are you going to sit on your circumstances or are you going to sit underneath of them? My hope is that you will choose to sit on them and not under them. That is my hope. We're actually going to close today with a song. Okay? So band, if you guys will come up. And... This song is called No Longer Slaves. Some of you know this song. Maybe for some of you this is new. But the song says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. You know why I'm no longer a slave to fear? Who can tell me the rest of the words? Well, the seat's taken. Because I am a child of God. Right? And so we're going to sing this song, hopefully, okay? The intent here is to leave on a high note, okay? Because I don't want any of you to feel like my pastor just yelled at me because I miss church, okay? That's not what this is. So would you all do me a favor and stand? Can you all stand? 